Welcome, I'm Cliff Hedges. This is Pastor Cliff's Notes. It's a podcast where we're studying the Bible. We're working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians. Today is episode 451. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 28. Let's read our passage. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits. Afterwards it is coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he abolishes all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. For God has put everything under his feet. Now when it says everything is put under him, it is obvious that he who puts everything under him is the exception. When everything is subject to Christ, then the Son himself will also be subject to the one who subjected everything to him, so that God may be all in all. This is Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. The church he had founded five years earlier on his second missionary journey. Now he's on his third missionary journey in Ephesus. And he's writing this letter to the Corinthian church because they've got a lot of issues, a lot of problems. Paul intends to go to the church in Corinth. Eventually, things are in a state where he, he can't just wait. He's got to send them this letter to provide some correction. There's a lot of factions, a lot of division, a lot of pride, a lot of uh, people being very puffed up. They think they're very knowledgeable. They think they're very wise. They think they're very spiritual. And they've got a lot of confused theology. So Paul's been providing a lot of correction. Now, chapter 15, he's dealing with the resurrection. And it doesn't seem to be anything they've asked him about, but it seems to be something he's heard, that there's people in the church denying the resurrection. And the implication is there's it's not just one or two people. It's a large enough group that it's kind of become the de facto view of the people in the church, or at least nobody seems to be opposing it. And this may go along with the we talked earlier about some of these people who think they're so super spiritual, they've already been spiritually resurrected. And so what is this about some future resurrection? Well, we're so spiritual, we've gone ahead and done it. So Paul's reviewing the whole concept of resurrection here. He talked about the resurrection of Jesus. That was the basis of their faith. So verses 1 through 11 of chapter 15 was dealing with the resurrection of Jesus, that it was something that people witnessed, and it became the basis of everyone's faith. And in verses 12 to 19, he said, but why is it some of you are saying there is no resurrection? And if there is no resurrection, if there's no such thing as a resurrection, then even Jesus wasn't resurrected, in which case our faith is pointless, and all those who've died are, are lost, and we're hopeless, we're still stuck in our sins. So he talked about you know, if there is no resurrection, it's a bad case. Now, today, he's continuing with his argument and saying, but there is a resurrection of Jesus. Verse 20, but as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So, he said, you know, if Christ has not been raised, then they're bad. But Christ has been raised. And notice the way he words it here. It didn't Christ rose from the dead, although you can't say that is correct. But Paul uses purposeful language here. Christ has been raised from the dead. 
Notice that it's, it's God who raised Christ from the dead. Not Christ raised himself from the dead, but God the Father raised God the Son from the dead. Now, why does that matter? Well, it shows that God's in charge, and God's the one doing this. This is God's plan from the get-go, and says he's the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. Well, he mentioned those who've fallen asleep back in verse 18. He said that those who've fallen asleep in Christ have also perished if there is no resurrection. So, the idea of first fruits of those who've fallen asleep, that is, those who are in Christ who have died, First fruits refers to the first of the harvest. And so him using this analogy of Jesus as the first fruits, meaning there's still yet the rest of the harvest, all those who've fallen asleep in Christ. And it's a larger harvest, and it's guaranteed by God, because God's the one that raised Christ from the dead. It wasn't just that Christ is so much greater than us, he raised himself from the dead, but this is God's plan. God has raised Jesus from the dead as the beginning, the down payment, so to speak, the promise of the larger harvest of all those who've died in Christ. He continues, verse 21, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. Now this is referring to Adam as the first man, and now Jesus is the final man. He continues in verse 22, For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Why is there death? Because there is sin. Where did sin begin? It began with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. There was no death prior to that. So as a consequence of sin, there is death. Death is the prime example that we live in a fallen, sinful world. And all that came from the sin of Adam. So death comes through a man, Adam. The resurrection of the dead also comes through a man, Jesus Christ. For just as in Adam all die, now all die because of Adam, but he says, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Now, based on the context, it's obvious he means all who are in Christ. Who's referring to that back in verse 18? Who is it who is lost? Those who have fallen asleep in Christ. He's talking about those who are in Christ. This is uh, just a good example of the, the danger of what I call soundbite theology or ransom note theology. You build a ransom note, take a newspaper, and cut it up, different words, and glue it together, and make it say what you want it to say. Well, sometimes we can be guilty of that with the Bible. We pull little pieces out of it, stick it together, and come up with our own non-biblical theology. And so here, all will be made alive in Christ. Well, he means all who are in Christ. So you can't make this some kind of universalism, and that's the danger just pulling a, a verse out of context like this. Verse 23, but each in his own order, Christ, the firstfruits, afterwards at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So, Christ is the first fruits, the first resurrection, then all those who belong to Christ will be resurrected, and that will be at his coming, the second coming of Christ. There'll be the resurrection of those who are in Christ. And verse 24, then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he abolishes all rule and all authority and power. And I think, okay, well, what is this talking about? He's talking about here just the 
the supremacy of God over everything and Christ as the one who's carrying out God's plan here. And he is abolishing a rule and authority and power. And verse 25, for he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. Now, this is uh, the language from Psalm 110 verse 1 and Psalm 8 verse 6, where it talks about the Messiah conquering all the, the enemies of God and uh, God triumphing in the end. In verse 26, the last enemy to be abolished is death. So that's carrying on from verse 25, puts his enemies under his feet, and the biggest enemy is death. It also goes back to verse 24, abolishes all rule and all authority and power. Well, the example there is we see Satan as the ruler of the earth, and when all that is conquered, and the last enemy to be conquered, then is death. This is why the concept of resurrection is so important, because death is the evidence of sinfulness, fallenness, a corrupt, broken world, uh, which is not in accordance with the way God has laid everything out to be. And so until death is conquered, things aren't fully aligned under God. So death needs to be conquered. Hey, has this quote from Psalm 8, verse 6 again, where God has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says everything is put under him, it's obvious that he who puts everything under him is the exception. And I think, okay, well, isn't that obvious uh, when everything is under the feet of Christ? Well, of course, that doesn't include God the Father. But Paul's specifically making this point, he's going to amplify it here in verse 28, about the subordination of God the Son under God the Father, this order of authority. So verse 28, when everything is subject to Christ, then the Son himself will also be subject to the one who subjected everything to him, so that God may be all in all. That's just saying that he's not under him now. No, he's not saying that. What he's saying is when everything is put right, then you still have God the Son subordinate to God the Father. And why does he bring that up? Well, bring that up to look at the overall biblical timeline and trajectory and goal of everything, that there was creation and it was perfect. Adam and Eve sinned. As a result of that, there's death. But God is putting everything back in order. And God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be the atoning one to provide the way of forgiveness of sin so there can be reconciliation with the Father through what Christ has done. And also, at the end, then the entire creation will be put back in order. And that's the picture. This is all God's plan here. The resurrection of Jesus, that's where they may say, okay, that's okay. But as far as everybody else, no. And Jesus did it because he was so super spiritual. Now we're super spiritual, so we're resurrected too. And Paul said, no, 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 no. It's not a matter of how spiritual you are. It's all a matter of God's plan. What God is doing, what God has planned all along, God's the one who resurrects people, and he does it on his timeline in accordance with his plan when the end comes. Now, Paul used here this Adam and Christ analogy, that Adam is the first man, and because of Adam, all are in sin. 
and all are under death penalty. But then Jesus is the final man who undoes what was done under Adam. He'll hit it again here in this chapter in verses 45 to 49, and then he'll use that analogy again in Romans chapter 5. But Paul's continuous argument here of the resurrection, why it's a big deal, and why people can count on a resurrection at the end. And he's also pushing aside the, the crazy ideas that they have of perhaps they're so super spiritual they've already been resurrected. No, no, you haven't. It's all under God's plan, and that will all take place at the end. But it's all guaranteed because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, where he is the first of the harvest, and the harvest yet to come are all those who are in Christ. Thanks for joining me. Join me again next time as we continue looking at 1 Corinthians 